Dear friends, it's time to wrap up 1 Samuel. I plan on continuing through 2 Samuel, but we've got to finish this book. And today we're going to be looking at the death of Saul. It's been an event coming for quite a while. It's not a long chapter. I kind of get the sense that um, though some details are given about how it happened, and I think they're important to think about what's communicated, it doesn't take a long time telling about this. And so I sense that there's this desire to tell what happened, but not to glory in it. This isn't a good thing. And the Lord isn't glorying in the death of Saul, who the Lord chose and selected and anointed, but eventually had to reject from that position, and Saul shipwrecked his faith. So we're in the final chapter of 1 Samuel, that's chapter 31, and let's read it. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Now remember, David has was supposed to be in this battle, unsure if he would turn against the Philistines in this. Interestingly, it's possible, you know, if the Philistines hadn't sent David back, that David may have actually rescued Saul's life. He may have come into the battle and actually sought out Saul and then acted as Saul's bodyguard. So that's totally possible, and it's possible that the fact that the Philistines sent David home was under the providence of God to allow this situation to happen. But, you know, you never know what could have happened. We only know what did happen. But the, the, this battle has been um, being led up to for a few chapters now. And so interestingly as well, it's almost like this fight with um, Saul dying is probably happening right around the same time that David has either discovered that Ziklag's been burned or is chasing after the people that burned Ziklag. Those two stories, those two events are happening around the same time. Verse 2. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, the sons of Saul. Okay, so the battle's happening, and Israel is losing, and we're, we start to focus in a bit more on Saul and his sons, and Saul's sons die first. Verse 3, the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Okay, so now we're starting to slow down in the story. We're starting to focus in on Saul as a character. We started off with the big uh, um, wide-angle lens of the battle happening on this mountain with Phil Israelites dying, and we're focusing in on Saul and his sons. Uh, interestingly, that Jonathan is just, we don't really beat Abinadab or Melchishua, and Jonathan's death just kind of happens, which is a bit sad because he was a wonderful guy. Um, but here we go. This is the end of Jonathan. And this is the reason why Jonathan didn't become king after Saul. Saul's lineage, which should have continued through Jonathan, is ended in this battle even before Saul reigns, which does some work to um, solve the issue of uh, who's going to take over the kingdom after Saul dies. Now, you'll know in the next book, there's actually a civil war between um, Israel and Judah, with Judah going after David and the rest of Israel following after um, Abner and his puppet king. But the fact that Jonathan dies in this battle rescues Jonathan from being on the other side of a civil war with David in one sense. Okay, so Saul is badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he greatly feared. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell on it. 
Now, this is an interesting scene here. Saul is wounded and dying, and his request is that his armor bearer would kill him or murder him. This isn't good. Um, the armor bearer is like a golfer's caddy. He would carry around the spears and the weapons that Saul would use so that he could not have to carry his own weapons. He could just fight with one weapon at a time. And an armor bearer usually had a really intimate relationship with his lord. And the request to have the armor bearer kill Saul reminds you of David. Remember David had two opportunities to kill Saul and he refused to. And the armor bearer, this is so this is a good thing. The fact that the armor bearer refused to do it, to be afraid to do it, um, is a good thing. It re reminds you of the godliness of David and the fact that Saul wants to be uh, killed by his own teammate instead of falling into torture. This isn't a good thing. I think this is another example of Saul's selfishness in life and then that he kind of goes down, dies on his own sword instead of dying in battle probably is also another sign of Saul's self-centered attitude um, on display in his life and then also in his death. Like he was willing to turn his armor bearer into a murderer, essentially, um, to make his armor bearer kill the Lord's anointed, which is what David was refusing to do. This isn't a good thing that Saul was willing to do that. Verse 5, and when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So look at the loyalty of the armor bearer. This is, uh, this armor bearer, you know, again, not great to fall on your own sword, but the loyalty, the devotion, the refusal to kill, but to be willing to die with him. Uh, this armor bearer, I think, has a noble heart. Verse 6, thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. It's a fulfillment of God's prophecy through Samuel, the ghost Samuel summoned by the necromancer on a previous chapter. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. So um, what, essentially what it means is when the army was defeated, the people nearby watching the battle saw that they were now incredibly vulnerable and they left. And I think this was just a common thing that would happen back then is that the borders were very flexible depending on who won the most recent battle and the borders would be moved back and forth as people won and lost their battles. All right, verse 8. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So this would be a practice of going around to look at the bodies. You might collect armor, you might collect rings, you might collect earrings. This is part of how um, armies probably paid for themselves, would be loot and booty and stuff. And so um, they fought one day, they went and rested, and now they've come to collect their treasure. Verse 9, so they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and their people. Again, so this is good news according to their perspective that they've finally killed the king of Israel. So this would be a big event for them because remember, Saul was given grace by God to have victories against the Philistines his entire life. Uh, David needed to kill Goliath, but under Saul, David was tremendously successful in killing Philistines, and regularly Saul won the battles. He wasn't regularly defeated. He usually won, and that's why God gave Saul to Israel, is to be a warrior, and God was with Saul to protect Israel. But in this case, now after a fairly long life of doing battle, Saul's defeated, and the Philistines are super happy about this. And this story reminds us of Samson, and when Samson was 
uh, captured and they brought Samson as a trophy to their temple of Dagon to celebrate their victory over him. Verse 10, they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. So this is gruesome, but this is what they did to celebrate their victory. And I think there are some places like when, uh, was it Iran or Iraq was taken over by um, Islamic militants recently, um, there were beheadings and the heads were put on spikes within town. And so this practice of hanging up body parts of your defeated enemies still happens in the world. It's happening for a long time, but it's a sign of their victory and humiliation for Israel. When the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. All right, that's the end of First Samuel, and this story is going to pick up almost like with the next verse in the next book. So these books aren't super separate. It's one continuous story. But this story ends, and I think it's on purpose. It doesn't end with the humiliating defeat of Saul. It actually ends with a valiant act of some Israelites, the people of Jabesh Gilead, see that Saul's remains and the remains of his sons have been humiliated. And so the brave ones go and they steal these bodies back and bury them with honor. And so what you have here is this double ending of God still honoring these men who fought for Israel. Even though Saul died rejected, God allowed him to be rescued from the, the disgrace of being hung dead and have his body buried And it also ends with this reminder that there are still valiant men in Israel. And these valiant men, um, in the midst of a military defeat, go bravely and steal back these remains and treat them with honor and bury them and then fast seven days, which is, I think, a sign as well as like a commitment to the Lord. When people touch dead bodies and stuff like that, they were considered ceremonially unclean. And so the fact that they not only buried these bodies to honor the king, but also that they fasted to the Lord is meant to be a sign that they have faith in the Lord while they're doing this. So this valiant, these valiant men are faithful Israelites rescuing the remains of the king and his prince sons. And they want to end this book or this story on that kind of glimmer of hope that there are still good men in Israel. All right, so next time we'll pick up with the next book. And somewhat tragically, the beginning of a civil war in Israel. So David is uh, the anointed king, where the previous anointed king is dead, but he's not going to enter into his kingship for a while yet. To the loss of Israel, but to the um, education of the people of God. Be blessed, my church.